All right, let's go ahead and open up to Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 29 tonight. Chapter 29 in Second Chronicles. The Lord, over the past couple weeks, especially with the climate in our country, has really been putting on my heart um, two words, repentance and revival. And you can't have revival without repentance. Otherwise, I don't believe it to be true, true revival. You have to have a, a turning from our sins. We have to have a turning from our, our evil ways before we can even be brought back to life again to be revived. And uh, we, we've seen here in Second Chronicles, as we're leaving Ahaz in chapter 28, and we've seen the evil that he done in the nation of Judah. We see the destruction that he left it in, uh, the moral decay that it was left in. We're going to start seeing a little bit of bright light coming in chapter 29 when Hezekiah has taken over here as the king of Judah. He's going to bring a, a revival of sorts, uh, some reforms to the nation of Judah to where they start focusing in on the Lord again. And I think in our nation, that's exactly where we need to be heading as well, to focus back in on the Lord again, because we've strayed so far from where we were as a nation at one point in time. I don't believe it's to be the light of the, of the, of the world as, as believers putting the gospel forth anymore. We have so much false gospel within Christendom that it, 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 it's, it confuses people. And uh, I, I think with this quarantine and with this, uh, these writings, I think the, the true believers will start to shine because the Spirit will bring them forth to be a witness to those who are hurt and those who are, are dying right now in their sins. And, you know, many of us, we understand the word repentance to mean a turning from our sins. And that's a part of it. You know, regretting our sin, turning from it, but it's not the entire definition of what repentance is. And we're going to see here with Hezekiah as he basically stores this repentance of the nation of Judah and turning them back towards Christ. We're going to see what repentance is. And here I say in my notes it says repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling a contrition or regret for past wrongs. And we should feel some regret. We should feel some sorrow for the sins we have had in the past or the sins we may even struggle with today. But it also says, which is accompanied by a commitment to change to do better. A lot of people will feel sorry because, oh, I got caught in my sin or I got caught in my wrongdoing. But there's never a true commitment to do better, to make a change. There's never a strong commitment to following Christ. It's kind of, oops, I got caught, I'm in the wrong, let me ask for forgiveness. So, repentance involves an act of confessing, confessing ourselves to God. It is the act of turning around and changing directions 180 degrees. So I'm going down one way, I need to turn back to God. So repentance isn't only feeling sorry for our sins. It's not just asking for forgiving, forgiveness, but it's turning back to God. And that's where the nation of Judah finds itself at this point. After Ahaz's reign, 
And like I said earlier, his demoral decay of the country, they're at a point where they're needing to turn back to God, repent of their sins, feel the sorrow, feel the regret for it, but then make that turn around and go back to God. And that's where our country is today. It saddens me to see it, that we've come to this point with the rioting and, and, the, and this quarantine that we're in, that, that, that people are living in fear. And, and uh, you know, Ken mentioned in his worship that we need to listen to the people. We need to listen to what's hurting them and what's ailing them. In the late, in the, in the late 60s, when they had the Jesus People Movement uh, that had came through, they were crying out for something. There was something that was hurting them. There was something that was, that was bothering the people, and we needed to listen. And groups of churches, groups of Christians listened. And there was a revival at that time to where many turned their lives over to Christ. And I don't believe it's much different today. There's a, there's a younger generation and a group of people that are crying out to be heard. Whether it's black, white, yellow, brown, it doesn't matter. They're crying out to be heard. And is the church listening? We need to lend our ear. We need to lean it over to them and listen to what they're saying and, and, and be, a, be a witness to them. And so here, as we get into Second Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to see the start of this repentance. We're going to see the start of this revival. And he starts it with the temple. And that's exactly where revival and repentance needs to start. In modern day terms, it needs to start in the church. So as we start in chapter 29 of Second Chronicles, verse 1, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, if we remember in the previous chapter, when we were talking about King Ahaz, they said that he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Unlike his father David, who did do what was right. Now, we know David is to be, we said this last, well, I'm going to say last week, two weeks ago, we said that David was a gold standard of, for, for all the kings to follow. That David was, was a man after God's own heart, that he, he searched after God, he had a love for God, an intensity, a fervency for the things of God. And we know that he was not perfect. Scripture tells us that. That's what I love about this Bible. It doesn't, doesn't sugarcoat anything. David was a great man of God, but David also had trouble with sin. But it shows the mercy of God. To have mercy on David's soul, even though he would fall into sin. Because why? David would go back and repent before the Lord with true repentance. So we see here, instead of not doing the things like David did. We see Hezekiah does the things like David did. And we've seen other kings where it says, well, he did like his father, so and so. But they weren't always up to David's standard. But we see Hezekiah here is doing the things of God to David's standard. He is standing up to that gold standard which David had set. And in verse 3 it says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Hezekiah starts to reign by opening up the house of God in the first, says the first year and the first month. He had his priorities straight. He goes, nothing's going to get changed in the nation of Judah. Nothing's going to get changed in the individual's life. 
unless we start with the house of God. And we say we see Hezekiah here is going to reopen those doors. And why does it say reopen? Because in chapter 28 and in verse 24, it says, So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So his father shut the house of God down and decided to go worship other idols, other gods of other nations. So here we see his son making a quick reverse of what his father was doing. And you would think as as evil as Ahaz was as a king, you would think maybe Hezekiah may have followed in that same path, but he must have had other mentors that kept him on the straight path. To be able to want to come and, and set these priorities straight in reopening the house of God, which his father had shut. So I look at this and I think where our country is today and I still feel a hope for our country because there still is a remnant of God's children here to be able to reopen the church. Sure, we have a lot of buildings that are open, but we can reopen the church spiritually to a hurt and dying world. So, you know, Hezekiah could have built a palace for himself. He could have built a house. He could have built, you know, strengthened Strengthened his army, number one, but he didn't. He had a priority. He wanted to build and reopen the house of God. Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me. That's the Lord speaking. He says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. I think this is a perfect and beautiful model of what Hezekiah was doing. He wanted to seek God. He loved God. And he said, God, I want to honor you by opening your house back up for the nation of Judah. For we have a place to come and to worship and be with you. So here we see Hezekiah doing a, a beautiful thing because he loves the Lord. And in Proverbs it tells you that the Lord loves those who love him. So if you love the Lord here tonight, the Lord loves you. No matter where, where, what walk of life you're, you're coming from, if you love him, he's loving you. Amen? Verse 4 says, then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. So Ahaz had allowed the temple to be desecrated and defiled. But here we see Hezekiah telling the Levites to clean it up, to take out the trash. Because we are the temple of the true and living God, we must, be, we must continue to clean the filth out of our lives. And I can't speak how filthy your hearts are. You know that. I know how filthy mine is. The Lord knows how filthy it is, and he knows the cleaning that needs to be done. And he's ready and willing to help us in that cleaning project that we have. A little spring cleaning on our heart thinks, it, thinks we'll do us all good, I think. You know, so he wants us to clean out our hearts because we are that temple of the living God. And there's trash that needs to be taken out in the church, and we all know it. So we look at nature, we look at animals. I look at my two dogs. They go outside and they get dirty and all that, but then they come back in and they start licking themselves and start kind of cleaning up areas on their body. You look at cats clean themselves all day long. Even though they may be in dirty situations, there's something in, in, in nature that's built in to want to be cleaned. But it seems like in the human heart, we don't want to be clean. We want to hide the filth. 
that's inside of us. But we should want to clean that out. And cleansing needs to be carried out daily. One John, one, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, tells us how to clean it. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing in our hearts starts with confession. It starts with that heart of a lifestyle of repentance. Every day, repenting before the Lord of our sins, because every day we come into sin. Whether it's on the outside where you can see the sin, or whether it's on the inside in our hearts where no one else can see it but us. We need to constantly be in a lifestyle of repentance before the Lord. So this verse, talking about 1 John, tells us that even if we feel defiled and desecrated, we can solve that problem right now by simply confessing our sins to the Lord. We don't have to go tell a priest. We can go directly to God. One mediator between man and God, right? That's Christ Jesus. We can go directly there. So when we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives and washes away that sin that is in our lives. So Hezekiah started by cleaning out the trash in the temple, and that's where we need to start, by cleaning out the trash in our lives. Confessing before God the sin and the filth that we have, for we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now moving on to verse 6, it says, For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned their faces away from the dwelling places of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, but out, uh, put out the lamps and have burned incense or and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, with the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of our fathers have fallen by, by this sword, and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. So he's just laying out the facts that before he took the reign, that his father had led the nation into destruction, led the nation into captivity. And we think about it today. So many is led into the captivity of sin. It's, it's ridiculous. And we need, to, we need to show them the way. And we're looking at this and, and what a contrast it was from, from the time Uzziah, a couple kings before, had the military, was top-notch, strong, had the economic portion of, of, of Judah going strong. And now they're at a part of, now Judah is sitting in a, a time of destruction. And Hezekiah is having to come in and fix all of that now. So the state of our country right now seems to parallel Judah sometimes. We've had our good times in our country over the past 200 years, and we've had some bad times. We're in a real bad time right now, you know, the way I view it. But Judah's prosperity hinged on what they were going to do with God. So if we want to leave God out of a lot of our aspects in our everyday life, then we're going to see destruction. We're going to see defilement. We're going to see our nation fall. So we have to ask, it says, do we worship God or do we deny him? 
And we can deny him in small things, but we have to ask yourself that question. Are we going to worship God or are we going to deny him? Are we going to bend the knee to his will or are we going to bend the knee to man and, and, and the will of man? Is God number one in your life? Is God sitting on the throne of your heart? Or is he just lumped in with the rest of the idols we may have in our lives? These are all questions we need to ask ourselves. If we want revival to come in, we need to be real honest with ourselves and, and do a deep search of, of our hearts and see where we're at with God and repent of those things that do not line up with his will. So we ask ourselves those questions, you know, if we want revival, we want turnaround. We really need to know what's going on in our hearts. And it starts with the cleansing of God's house and setting priorities straight, just like Hezekiah is doing here. Verses 10 and 11, it says, Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. That's a good place to start. That his fierce wrath may turn away from us. And you know, through, through the entire books of First and Second Kings and the entire books of First and Second Chronicles, it was constantly like that. It was like, it was like a roller coaster. Oh, we're going to follow the Lord now? Then they would stray away and they would drop. Oh, now we're going to follow the Lord? And I bet a lot of our lives are like that. We have our ups and downs with our relationship and our walk with Christ. You know, wish it can be on that high plateau up there in the mountain all the time. But sometimes we drop down into that valley. You know, but the, the Lord is patient and he's good with those he, he loves. And he'll, he'll, he'll be patient with you to, to come back, just like he was patient with Judah. Whenever they would fall away and come back, he was patient with them. Verse 11, it says, My sons, do not, uh, do, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. So here we see Hezekiah knew that the root of all the problems that his nation was having, it was one problem. Now, one problem was is that they had forsaken God. Anytime the nation would forsake God, they would drop. And what's America's problem right now? We have forsaken God. June 25th, 1962, America decided to take prayer out of school. That's one of our downfalls. That's one of our ways we decided to neglect God. In 1973, Roe uh, Ro versus Wade is where abortion became legal. So now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bow the knee to, to Moloch and those gods and kill the babies. In 1980, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a Kentucky statute that mandated that every public school classroom would have the Ten Commandments in it. So basically they took the Ten Commandments out of the classrooms. No wonder the kids don't know what right from wrong. They grow up without the Ten Commandments. They grow up without learning about God in school. And a lot of the families, as, as we moved on, don't teach their kids that because they're godless in, in their ways. And the list of things can go on. We could talk about the Supreme Court uh, ruling just this week. So the list can go on in how the United States decided to take God out of the public arena, and now we're starting to feel the effects of that. As the moral decay has, has since the 1960s have just seemed to speed up to where we are today. Verse 12, it says, Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasa, and Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, 
of the sons of Morori, Kish, and the son of Abadai, and Azariah, the son of Jehalel, of Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah. Of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jael, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mattaniah. See where I'm at. Okay, and the sons of Heman, Jehel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Judathan, Shemaiah, and Uzel. And they gathered there, gathered their brethren, sacrificed, uh, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. So you see them going in and doing the physical cleaning of the temple there in Judah. It says, Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And brought out all the debris they had found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Now they began to sanctify, uh, sanctify on the first day of the month. And on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. So it took them eight days to sanctify the holy place within the temple. And then it took them about another eight days to clear out the courtyards to be able to take care of all of that. And we should be in constant state of cleaning in our temple. We said that earlier. and It's going to be repeated throughout this uh, sermon. We need to be constantly in a state of cleaning in our temple, constantly living a life of repentance before the Lord, cleaning out those areas of our lives. In verse 18, it says, Then they went to King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings, with all the articles, the table of the showbread, with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. So stains are looking good. The temple is being cleaned out. The broken instruments are being repaired and they are ready for use. The temple is about to be open for business where the nation of Judah can come back in and to worship their God. And it goes on. Verse 20, it says, Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for sin offerings. For the kingdom for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king, And the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for Israel. So here we see them preparing to sacrifice before the Lord. So when the people laid their hands, it says here in the last verse, in verse 24, it says that they laid their hands on the offering. So when they laid their hands upon the offering, 
that was about to be sacrificed, they realized that they were going to be transferring the sins to that sacrifice. So they also understood that they would understand that sin was so serious that it took death to get rid of it. So they knew when they were transferring, they were putting their hands on the, on the, on the, on the animal, on the sacrifice. That was symbolic of them transferring their sins, their transgressions over to that animal before it would be killed for them, for their, their sins could be covered. And that's exactly what Christ did for us, was to take those sins that we have on the cross to die for our sins, that his blood would be the final sacrifice for our sins. There would not need to be another sacrifice. Our sins had to be laid on him. His blood had to be stained on the cross. And his death had to happen so we can live. And that sacrifice is offered to anyone who will accept it. Many people, unfortunately, don't accept it. And they'll die in their sins. But that sacrifice was made for everyone. Once and for all on that cross 2,000 years ago. And it talks here that the, that, the, that the offering was to make atonement. And atonement does not mean to be cleansed or eradicated from your sins, but it basically means to cover up. So their sins were going to be covered for whatever period of time. But they would have to eventually make a sacrifice again. But in Hebrews 10, the author tells us that the blood of bulls and goats would cover the sins, but could not take it away. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, can take our sins away to where we will not be accounted for them again. So those lambs and those bulls and those goats, the blood, it was good for a time. It had, had an expiration date on it. But there's no expiration date on the blood of Jesus. No expiration date. This is an example of what Jesus did for us with this sacrifice. In verse 25, it says, And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with string instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. Then it says, The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with trumpets, Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer a burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped. The singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All all this continued until the burnt offerings was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. So sacrifice was made and they began to worship. One of the beautiful things about worship, and we're talking about true worship, that it breaks down barriers. You know, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white. Those barriers are broken down whenever you enter into worship with God. Whether it's here as we, as we worship together as a church to prepare ourselves to hear the word and hear what God has to tell us or whether you're worshiping yourself at home, or you're worshiping the Lord in your heart, all those barriers are broke down at that point. 
In worship, we lose our identity, but find it in Christ. It's no longer about Brandon or Roy or Ron. It's about Christ and what he did for us. And we lose ourselves and we become part of something bigger than ourselves. We become part of that body of Christ and we are linked together praising God. So the worship that we do before service is, is, is very important, very vital to us as believers because it, it ushers in the spirit of God and gets us ready to, to receive the word that he wants to speak to us about. And everybody hears the sermons we, we, we preach up here differently because God is talking to each and every one of your hearts. And that's why it's so important to, to really get into worship to where your heart is tender to be able to listen to what God has to say and what the spirit is going to speak to you in that in that time. And that's what happens during worship. And you see him here, they're sacrificing and they're worshiping and they're having a party for the Lord. And they're enjoying themselves and they should be because the nation is coming back to him again. Goes on in verse 30, it says, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have uh, consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifice and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifice and thank offerings, as many as were willing, as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. So here we see them bringing these offerings. Now, some of these were not required. It was, it, was, it was part of, if you had it in your heart that you wanted to bring another offering to God, come do it in worship. Because our giving is also a part of a worship to God. He says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? He doesn't want you to be grudging in your giving. If you're, if you're grudging and you're just doing it robotically, don't do it. Do it because your heart is filled to want to give to the Lord and the work of the Lord. That your heart is wanting to worship him in your giving. Whether it's money or whether it's labor you may do or, or, or work, witnessing out to the community. and Whatever that giving of yourself is, do it with a, a whole and, and joyful heart. And that's what they were doing here. They were coming in willing and wanting to worship before God. Wanting to give before God. And God honors that. Verse 32, it says, And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was uh, 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep, but the priests were too few, so that they could not kill all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sacrificing themselves than the priests. So there was so much giving. The the people's hearts were lifted up so much that it was a lot of work to do. The priests themselves couldn't do all the work. And the Levites had to step in. And you know, people, we are, we, are, we are coming to a point to where the pastor can't do all the work. The pastor can't be the one that keeps bringing the word of God. It's on us, the congregation, the body of Christ, to go out and do the work too. It's not just about the work done on Sunday or Wednesday, but it's us collectively as a body, as a team, as a, as, 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 as a, as a group to go out 
and be a witness to God and do the work of the God, do the work of God. Because the harvest is ripe right now. We see a lot of anger and we see a lot of, a lot of confusion and, and, and sadness out there right now, but that's a cry for the need of God. That's crying out saying we need God. And a lot of them don't realize that's what it is, but they're crying out. So right now the harvest is full, it's ready. And we have to step out and be the ones to go out into the harvest and be the workers to bring that harvest in. Because Jesus gave us a great commission. That wasn't just for the church leaders. That was for the entire body of Christ. We can't just be pew sitters. We have to get out there and do the work of God. That's what he has called us to do. In verse 35 it says, Also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offering and with the drink offering for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the event took place suddenly. So this wasn't just something that was planned for a long period of time, some big crusade that was coming. This happened like that. When, when we start to prepare the house of God and we start cleaning it out, God is going to come and he's going to act. And he's going to show up. And I think that's where... Revival becomes real is when the house of God starts getting itself in order and repenting before God, then God will show up with revival. You know, I pray that the Spirit of God moves in our house here. I pray that the Spirit of God moves in our nation as we start to clean out the temple, as we start to clean out the church and live in a life, a lifestyle of repentance and obedience to God. That's where we need to be. Amen. Father, we thank you for this message tonight, Lord, and I, I just pray for myself, and, and, I, and I pray for those here, Lord, that we would start to look within our hearts, Lord, and that we start cleaning out the church now, Father God, to prepare for the work that you have for us in the future, Lord, to, to harvest the souls, Lord, that are hurting and are lost and are in need of you, Father. I pray for outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Father God, upon us here as a, as a body here at Calvary Chapel and, and, and all around Lafayette, Father God, that we can go out and do the work, Lord, and that it would be done for you and for your glory and for your will, Father, and you would get all honor for it, Father. Just let us search our hearts, Father. We pray for those who are here today. We ask for your blessing over them. We ask for your blessing for those who are, were not able to make it tonight. Uh, and we just ask for traveling mercies, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.